Well, some of you were here a few weeks ago when Dr. Dan Doriani came and preached for us, and he's back again this morning. So let's receive him with a, uh, in the church I grew up in, we would say with a loud and hearty praise the Lord, but you can clap your hands. Our reading today from the epistles is from Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the word of the Lord. And we're going to have another word of the Lord, and it's from Isaiah chapter 7. And I'll be reading verses 1 to 3 and then verses 10 to 17. Our theme is Emmanuel, God with us. And it starts uh, long ago, about 2,700 years ago, when Isaiah was a prophet and a man named Ahaz, who was not a good king, was the king of Israel and uh, Isaiah had a word for Ahaz in a time of trouble. This is Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up against Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, that means Ahaz, when Ahaz was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. The Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jahub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. I'm just going to tell you that that's where there was a water supply. And, and so he was going to come under siege from these two, two armies. And he said, I better make sure I have some water. And so they met. Isaiah met Ahaz at the field where he was going to inspect his water supply. And then reading on, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. And I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, that's again Ahaz, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, Isaiah speaking, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria." That was Isaiah 7. I'll explain it to you a little bit more. First, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we hear this word in the prophet. We hear it also in the New Testament, that you are God. You are God with us. I pray that you would uh, enable the words of my mouth, the meditations of each of our hearts, 
to be aligned with what you're saying. May we believe and act on the truth of Emmanuel, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So one of the things uh, we like in life is to have the sense that there is somebody with us, that, that there are people with us who care for us and are interested in our well-being. A number of years ago, a rather striking example of this came when my daughter, who was a fledgling swimmer, seven years old, not very good, very slender, not very buoyant, decided she wanted to go off the diving board at her pool. Now, to go off the diving board at the pool, you have to demonstrate you can swim so the lifeguard isn't you know, concerned about your well-being. And so she had to swim the entire length of the pool. And it, was not a, it, wasn't, it wasn't a huge pool, but it wasn't a tiny pool. And, and it was very definitely not certain that she would be able to swim the entire length of the pool and make it. And so the you know, lifeguard's gonna watch her swim, I'm gonna watch her swim. And as uh, the, moment, the moment comes near, she said to me, uh, Daddy, I want you to stay with me. And I said, well, honey, I will absolutely be with you. I'll be right here beside the lifeguard, you know, watching you. And if anything goes wrong, I'll, I will jump in the pool and uh, rescue you. And she said, I know you will be standing by the pool. I want you in the pool. I said, now, honey, if I'm um, with you in the pool, you know I can't help you in any way. I mean, if I push you or pull you or help you in any manner whatsoever, you'll be disqualified. You won't be able to jump off the diving board. She said, I know. I want you with me in the pool. And so I got in the pool. Now, seven-year-olds are a little bit more candid about their desires than 37 or 57-year-olds, but probably all of us want to have the sense that somebody is with us, somebody who actually cares about us. On the other hand, some people, um, how do I want to say this? Uh, some people don't want the kind of attention that they think is not going to help them or advance their cause. And Ahaz, the man we've been reading about for the last little bit, is one of those people. Now, it is true that Isaiah chapter 7 is where we first hear the prophecy of Emmanuel, God with us. But Ahaz, um, Ahaz was not a person who necessarily wanted to hear that. He was the king of Judah when Israel had broken into two parts, if you know your Bible history, after the reigns of David and Solomon, the kingdom broke into two parts, and, and Ahaz had the smaller part, the southern part, Judah, and he had a godly father and a godly grandfather, but he himself was quite the rebel, and he wanted uh, no part of the faith, and, and his kingdom declined uh, because God gave no favor, and then he, he discovered that the king of Israel, which is the northern part of the kingdom went divided, and the king of Syria looked at his little nation and said, this place is ripe for the plucking. And so they banded together and they, they attacked and, and they're gonna descend on the land and he's looking at his water supply and he's worried about things, um, but he has a plan. He is uh, the kind of guy who, maybe like most of us, uh, when in trouble, thinks, okay, what can I do? How can I get myself out of this, out of this spot? And we don't know yet what his plan is, um, but he's got a plan to stay independent, to be bold. And Isaiah comes and says, I've got another plan for you. And, and my plan for you is that God will be with you to deliver you if you but ask. If you but yield. If you but yield. Because this king, this pika, 
from Israel and this resin of Syria, they're going to invade and they have a plan to overthrow you and put a puppet king in and dominate your country. And, and he's shaking with fear, the Bible says, in verses one and two. He's shaking with fear and Isaiah comes at God's direction and says, I'm gonna offer you my blessing. Don't be afraid. God is with you. This invasion is going to fail. But if you do not stand firm in your faith, I didn't read this verse, it's actually seven, chapter seven, verse nine. If you don't stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And then the part we read, just ask God for a sign. So just to make it clear, Ahaz is worried about an evasion. He's not a believer. He's got a plan. And Isaiah says, whatever your plan is, you don't need it. God will be with you. And I know, he's saying implicitly, I know you're not a believer. And so I'm gonna tell you that I'm offering you a sign that God is gonna give you his unmerited favor. Now, here's what his plan was. His plan was to go to another power, a greater power named Assyria, which is several hundred miles to the north, and to say to Assyria, I want you to be my ally and I invite you into my country to defend and we're gonna be allies and I'll give you uh, part of the plunder from these two armies you destroy and we'll be friends. It's a little bit like maybe a country like Panama or, the, or Honduras or Costa Rica being invaded by, who would invade Costa Rica? I don't know who would invade Costa Rica. Brazil, I don't know. Somebody invades Costa Rica. Maybe, maybe Peru decides to come up and invade Panama, and the people in Costa Rica say, well, I don't know what to do here, and they scratch their heads and they say, I know what we'll do, we'll get America to come defend us. And we'll offer them, you know, to plunder Peru and take all their wealth, and you come and, and you can have army bases in our country, and this is what we're gonna do. So something like this is what Ahaz had in his mind. I've got a plan, that's the basic idea. I've got a plan, I don't need God. and. And Isaiah says, God's on your side, just ask for a test. And because Ahaz has no interest in that, he says, I'm not gonna put God to the test. Now this is what we call, what I call pious jargon. Because we know that you're not supposed to put God to the test, right? You know that you're not supposed to say, I will be on your side, God, if you do A, B, and C for me. But unless you do A, B, and C, I'm not gonna believe in you. We know we're not supposed to do that, and Isaiah knows it, and Ahaz knows it enough to throw it out as a sort of a quasi-spiritual idea. I'm not gonna put God to the test. And Isaiah said, well, of course not, but God offered you that. On this occasion, he is gonna show you his grace by saying, ask anything you want and, uh, as a sign, and I'll give it to you. And he goes, oh, no, no, thanks. I'm, I'm just fine without any signs from God or any help from God. And so then Isaiah says, well, uh, God's gonna give you a sign anyway. And that sign, whether you want one or not, is this, a virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. And before this child knows right from wrong before he knows good from evil, so we would say usually before the age of two. Before then, the kings attacking Ahaz will be destroyed. And after that, God will bring the king of Assyria. So first of all, I wanna make it clear that 
there was probably a woman in the royal family. Most miracles have two fulfillments, or most, sorry, most, most prophecies have two fulfillments. Uh, prophecy of Emmanuel is truly fulfilled in Christ, but in that day, at that time, there was a woman, a virgin, a maiden, unmarried, probably somebody in the royal household, who was going to become pregnant, and she was gonna give her, her son the name Emmanuel. That's a name that's given in some countries to this day, and this child's name will be Emmanuel, and, and she, you know, she's not married yet, and she's gonna get married, and she's gonna have a baby, and she's gonna name the baby Emmanuel, and, and before that child is two years old, this invasion will all fall apart, so in a span of two or three years, all will be well. You're gonna be delivered. The only problem is, the only problem is, since you didn't ask for God's help and refused the gentle, gracious help of God and decided to deliver yourself by calling on the king of Assyria because you wanted to do it your way, you're gonna get your way. And Assyria's gonna come and he's gonna defeat those armies just as you hoped, but part B is not gonna go as you hoped. Part B was they would plunder the booty of the other armies. But in fact, when Assyria comes, they're gonna plunder those two armies they defeat and they're gonna plunder your land. And he goes on at the end of the prophecy, it's a long prophecy, about 45 verses. At the end of the prophecy, he says this, when the king of Assyria comes, it will overflow all its channels. So you think you're gonna channel the king of Assyria, but he's not gonna come like water in a nicely channeled river in the River Jordan. The river is going to overflow all of its banks and sweep up into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it, reaching up to the neck, and it will cover the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. And you think, well, what does that mean? Here's what it means. It means God offers to be in the life of Ahaz and in your life as God with us to bless. God offers to be present in your life as unexpected, unwarranted, unearned, shocking to you as a sinner, grace. It's yours. Just receive it. But if you say to God, no thank you, I have no interest in your grace, I have no interest in your help, then you still need to know that God is still with us. God is with us, that's a fact, and if God is not with you to bless you as he would be, then he will be with you to judge you as he was with Ahaz. Emmanuel means God is with us absolutely, whether we long for it or whether you do not. And there's a sort of a play on words in the prophecy of Isaiah. And basically Isaiah says this, look, you want, to work with, you want to work with Assyria? You will work with Assyria. And after you work with Assyria, Assyria will work you over because you did not choose God's way of blessing. And this kind of reminds me of, of uh, Milton, you know, who has in Paradise Lost the picture of, of Satan uh, you know, strutting in his kingdom of hell. And he says, I would rather rule in hell than serve in heaven. And, and there are people like that who don't want God's help. Um, I have a grandson who's three years old and he is currently um, 
he is currently engaging in behavior that's commonly called temper tantrums. And uh, they're called temper tantrums. I don't know what a tantrum is, actually, but I do know that he has a temper. And I know that he throws things around and throws himself on the floor and tries to headbutt people. And when he's put in timeout, he's like, fine, I don't care. I'm just going to tear up the timeout place. And it's just, it's just bad. And, and, you know, sometimes when a child is having a temper tantrum, by the age of 11, I know it's going to be over. <laughs> but, you know, when a child is throwing a temper tantrum, what do you do? You say to the child, I love you come on, let's read a story. And the child says, I don't want to read a story. I want to destroy things. And you think, why would you want to do that? And, and Ahaz is kind of like that, except he's a grown-up. He's a king. He's saying, I don't want God's grace. And God eventually says, you know, if you don't want my grace, it doesn't make me go away. I am still the eternal God who is always with you, and I always offer you my blessing and if you don't take my blessing, if you don't repent, then I'm still with you to judge. Which is unfortunately what happened to Ahaz. Ahaz never repented. His son repented. He had a noble son. He had a believing son. God blessed the nation, blessed his son later on. His name was Hezekiah. If you know your Bible stories, Hezekiah had a great 30-year reign under the blessed presence of God. But Ahaz never took it and had a wretched reign. Now, of course, the good news is that the story of Ahaz is not the only time we have Emmanuel in the Bible. The second story, which we celebrate at Christmas time, is the coming of Jesus, who is the true Emmanuel, the final Emmanuel. There's a, say it this way, a preliminary Emmanuel, and then there's the true, the real, the abiding Emmanuel, who is God with us. And you know the way the story goes. It's finally time for God not to give signs, right? Isaiah wanted to offer, Isaiah did offer, a sign that God was with Ahaz. But Jesus is not the sign that God is with us. He actually is God with us in the flesh. And so God shows this godly, servant-minded woman, Mary, and said, you are going to be pregnant with a child. And he told Joseph, and Joseph heard that his wife-to-be was pregnant and not by him. And the angel said, don't put her away. And so they both took the path of, of difficult obedience, and Jesus came as a baby, we say baby in a manger, right? But um, I, I'm not putting down the children's song we just sang. It was wonderful. But uh, manger sounds a little bit too, um, it's a feeding trough. That's what it is. A manger is a feeding trough. And you will find this little baby in a feeding trough wrapped in, and swaddling clothes basically means rags. So you're gonna find a baby in a trough clothed in rags. And that's how you know it's Emmanuel. And a lot of people think, well, that's a funny way for God to come to the earth. But the truth is God often operates incognito, doesn't he? And this is depicted in um, you know, the story that Christians love to quote all the time, Lord of the Rings, in which there are, there are many Christ figures. One of them is, is Aragorn, who originally appears as Strider. And if you know the story, the little hobbits think, think ill of this, this raggedy, dressed, dark figure in the corner watching them for who knows what reason, but they're pretty sure he's a bad guy. And then later on, 
in fact, not much later on at all, he saves their lives, and they find out that maybe he isn't a bad guy after all. In fact, maybe this scruffy guy who walks around keeping his eyes on things is the true king. And that's one of the pictures in that series of books about the, um, the work of Christ. So this is described for us, I'll, if, we'll, if we may. We're going to read Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. And it goes like this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as she considered these things, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, which means the Lord saves, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, the prophet Isaiah, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, the gist of this is, is pretty simple. Jesus is God with us. We actually sang a song. We didn't arrange this, but in one of the songs we sang, maybe you arranged it, maybe you did arrange it. But we sang a little song that talked about Jesus, you know, was, was stilling the storm and feeding uh, people. And the reason why he's able to still a storm by saying things like, peace be still, is because he's God. And God can command the storm. I don't know about you, but if you, it's been what has been drizzling four days nonstop, except when it was pouring, drizzling or pouring, four days stop. Did anybody go outside and shout at the clouds, would you please stop? Just stop it. Just give me 30 minutes of sun. Did anybody do that? Anybody willing to confess doing that? Why did you not do it? You didn't do it because you knew it would be absolutely pointless. You can wave and smile at the clouds. You can shout at the clouds. It doesn't make any difference. The clouds are going to do what they're going to do. But Jesus can say to a storm, peace be still, and it's still because Jesus is God. And he can take five loaves and two fish, and he can make it feed thousands and thousands of people because he's the Lord of all things, and he can command loaves to multiply because he is God. Jesus is not the sign of God with us. He is God with us. And it's not just something long ago. One of the things that um, you notice if you read the Gospel of Matthew is the little line, God with us, appears more than once. The first time it appears in Matthew is, is right here when Jesus is born. Jesus is God with us. But the second time it appears is in Matthew 18. And in Matthew 18, it goes like this. It says, where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Now that I am with them. I am with you, is Emmanuel. So what it's saying is, when you all come together as a church and pray, God is Emmanuel. So if I just say it this way, when you pray before little meal, and when, when you all pray and say, Lord, join us in this meal, he's going to do it. He will be with you when you pray. Now, the original context of Matthew chapter 18 is actually sins and problems with grave sin in the church. 
and it's saying, when you've rebuked somebody and there's two or three witnesses and they refuse to repent, then you all pray about it and I'll be with you in your midst. And I gotta tell you, you're gonna pray about it. You're gonna be on your knees about that. And the Lord says, when you're in that agony, I am with you. And when you are in the midst of a great project, Jesus says, I'm with you. You know, the great project, of course, is to go and make disciples of the nations, something this church wants to do. And, and Jesus doesn't just say, go make disciples of the nations. He also says, well, I'm going to be with you in that. Specifically, he says, make disciples of the nations. Surely I am with you even to the end of the age. I am with you as Emmanuel, God with us. God is with you as you strive to make disciples. That means as you're working with a new Christian or a non-Christian friend, you think, I don't know what to say. Guess what? Emmanuel, God is with you in that moment. Jesus is God Emmanuel, and that is so comforting. Um, I travel internationally, sometimes on mission trips, and I go to countries whose language I don't know, like India, where they speak a bunch of languages. The main one is Hindi. I don't know any Hindi at all. So I want to have someone with me at all times when I'm in India. Does that make sense? I also went to Hungary a couple times. Hungary has a language called Hungarian, creative title for it, Um, Hungarian is a language spoken by about 10 million people and it's it's what's known as an isolate. That means it doesn't sound like any other nation on earth. Sounds a little bit like Finnish and nobody knows Finnish either. So when you go to Hungary, you don't want to be by yourself. And so my guide said to me, my host who invited me said, don't worry about not knowing Hungarian, don't try to learn any phrases, it's an impossible language. I'll be with you all the time. And so I landed at the airport in Hungary, and he wasn't there. And he wasn't answering his phone. And I tried to speak to somebody, and the second language of Hungary is German, and the third language is Russian, and the 11th language is English, and I couldn't talk to anybody. I'm just standing there in the airport in Budapest. Now, I will tell you that once my guide arrived, he stayed with me all the time, except when he didn't stay with me. And when he didn't stay with me, he would hand me off to another person whose English was flawless, but she couldn't be with me all the time either, so she would hand me off to somebody else who didn't know any English at all, but she knew I was an educated person. She she heard me called doctor, so she assumed that like all educated people, I knew German. And I I did know German. I knew German for six weeks when I worked on my PhD. And and then the next language, so German isn't working, how about Russian? Well, believe it or not, I know a few words in Russian. They all are ecclesiastical, so that's worthless. And, And I really wanted my people to be with me. And they weren't with me. I'm still bitter about it 18 years later. But God is always with us. The problem is not whether God is with us. The problem is whether we know God is with us, whether we're taking it in, whether we're receiving it and knowing that it can be a sober truth if we want no part of God or can be a blessed truth. And what we really want is for God to be with us and for it to to show. And I'm gonna read another passage a little bit from 2 Corinthians 4, which I've been thinking about, and it goes like this. So God is with us even when things are hard. That's, That's the point I'm making right now. So Paul says, uh, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, 
struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. That means in our daily conduct. So the life of Christ may be, may be manifested in our bodies in the concreteness of what we're saying and doing with our hands. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus, that is to say the principle of Emmanuel, may be manifested in our mortal flesh. That's what we want. Now, um, I have not seen the movie, um, Mr. Rogers, there's a movie about Mr. Rogers out right now. And, uh, but I have read the story behind the movie. And the story behind the movie, as you, as you know, Mr. Rogers was a great children's story person uh, and, and just had this marvelous program for children, very tender, very kind. And maybe you also know that he was an ordained minister, a Presbyterian minister, and a man of prayer and godliness. Um, but the movie, which I haven't seen, but I've read the story behind it, um, is about an interview that a man got with Mr. Rogers. And people used to interview Mr. Rogers um, a lot because he was so different and had a show that was so beautiful for children and you know, didn't have that second layer of irony for adults. And people were fascinated and repulsed by it simultaneously. And so he was interviewed a lot. And, and this particular man um, got a long interview with Mr. Rogers. And he was kind of cynical about it. <clears throat> and Mr. Rogers' handler, because he did have a handler, said, what do you think's going on in this long interview you're getting? He said, I don't know, I'm getting an interview. He said, people get interviews all the time. They last 20 minutes, they're in the office and they're out. He's giving you hours. He's taking you to the grave of his parents. He is spending meals with you. He's talking to you for hours and hours. What do you think's going on here? And he found out that Mr. Rogers had actually put research into this man and had figured out that this, is the, this was a biographer who did hit biographies, who humiliated people whom he did biographies of, that he was famous for this, and Mr. Rogers decided not to turn against this man or refuse to talk to him or give him 15 guarded minutes. He decided to spend days with this man because of Emmanuel. Because somehow in that body of Mr. Rogers, who's kind of a quirky guy, in this slender, soft-spoken person, the life of Jesus was manifest in the body, meaning you know, having a meal, driving the car, of Mr. Rogers, which, of course, is what we want. We want the life of Christ to be manifested in us. And at Christmas season, Thanksgiving season, you know, it's holidays, it's, it's wonderful, we're their family, our friends, we love everybody, but we're also with people we aren't always with, and sometimes, you know, there's tension, and we have these high aspirations, and we think, I want everything to be perfect, and and. And we're not, you know, it's, it's one of those times when we feel a little bit um, afflicted. And it's one of those times when we feel struck down, maybe not destroyed. And we want God to be with us in that because, um, you know, because in relationships, things get tough. Because at Thanksgiving and Christmas and family, it's not always easy. And it's not always uh, beautiful. And we have a plan for our meal, and it falls short, and we 
We want to get a gift. We want to get the perfect gift for somebody that says to this person who's not quite sure we love them, I love you. And we give them the gift, and the look on their face says, maybe it wasn't quite right. And then we think to ourselves, why on earth did I think that a sweater could demonstrate I love you? What made me think that? What, what aspect of American materialism made me think that the right electronic device would prove love? And, and so we think, boy, I just want, I want God with us to somehow shine through my disappointment, my brokenness, my perplexity, the fact that I'm struck down. I want the life of Jesus, I want God with us to be manifested in my body, in my words, in my deeds. God with us. It's not always easy, is it? Um, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a guest preacher, which means I'm a preacher whose flaws are not manifest to you. That's what that means. And I just want to tell you that my wife and I have the same troubles as anybody else. They're not identical, but the same kinds of troubles that everybody else has. And sometimes you just look at each other and you say, well, there is nothing to be done here. All we can do is, is pray and ask that, some, that things get better somehow. I, I just want God to be Emmanuel, to be with us. And I don't even know what that means in this situation. I don't even know what, what I'm hoping for. I don't even know what to hope for at this moment. We want God to be Emmanuel with us, and God is with us, and we wanna, we're gonna savor that and live it out to the, to the greatest ability we can. And, and sometimes it's when it's people who are dear to us and we're worried about them. Um, so my, my children are older, but I have a granddaughter who's just started kindergarten, and you know, when you send a child off to school, you think, Lord, will you please be with this child? Will you be Emmanuel with this first grader, this kindergartner? Because things can go wrong in kindergarten and first grade. And then, and then they go to college, right? And you pray as you drop your child off at college, will you please be with this child in college? Because things can go wrong in college. And when they start their first job, and when you find out you've got an illness, God be with us. God be with us. And we want that to be familial, and we also want it to be something at work. I'm, I'm just thinking about a man, a businessman whom I know, who, um, who had a conversation with me. I don't know why, but he told me about his business. He said, you know, a funny thing about my business is um, I make a lot of my money off. He had a string of convenience stores. I make a lot of my money off kind of stupid things, like lottery tickets and cigarettes and candy. And he started the conversation. I didn't start it. He knows what I do for a living, so he must, it must have bothered him, right? So, so you feel bad that you're making a lot of your money off lottery tickets, and we all know that lottery tickets pray in the poor, and, and we all know what cigarettes do. And um, so you're telling me that's where you make your money. I said, what would happen if you got rid of the lottery tickets and the cigarettes? He said, I'd make a lot less money. I said, well, maybe, maybe, maybe God will be with you in your business. And maybe somehow you can figure out a way to give up the products that you know are not 
any good for your clients, and he'll still let you make money. Now, I'm not a goofy, weird-eyed, magical thinker, but I actually did say that. And you know what? He changed his business model, and long story short, he's making more money than ever. No more lottery tickets, no more cigarettes. Now, as a businessman, he knew better than to just, you know, give up cigarettes and, and lottery. He did other things. But here's why I did it, because he wanted to have the sense that God is with me in my retail business. He wanted to make money, of course he wanted to make money, but he didn't want to make money selling things that preyed on people. And he said, Lord, be with me as I change my business model. And God was with him. And so this is what I offer to you from God's word. Uh, There's a word for Ahaz. You want no part of God, I offer you. God offers you, as surely as Ahaz, if you're not a believer today, God offers you, as surely as he offered Ahaz, to be with you, to bless you. And he's given you the sign. The sign is Jesus, God with us. And then, and then Jesus came into the world, you know, to live, to do good, to teach, to die, to rise. Jesus is Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's God with us to redeem us, but he's also God with us in those terrible moments like we don't know what to pray for, we don't know what to do, we're on our knees, we're lost, and when we tackle big projects like like making disciples of nations, and when we tackle little projects like deciding what to do at work, and when we tackle things at home, Jesus is with us when we're worried about our children or worried about a brother, sister, mom, or dad, or about a relationship that isn't quite right. Jesus is God with us. And I encourage you to receive that, to live that, to let God's blessing wash over you, Emmanuel. Let's pray for a minute. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would um, grant us to know that you are with us. You're with us whether we know it, whether we like it, whether we're embracing it at any given moment or not. You're always with us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a desire to receive your blessed presence, the signs, the tokens, the direction, the aid that we need. And Lord, even now as we transition to the Lord's Supper, may we see these elements as your presence. You said you're with us always to the end of the age. And one of the ways you're with us is even through the sacrament, even through this this proof, this demonstration of your ongoing love and provision and grace for us. And so, Lord, we offer our thoughts, our prayers, our aspirations to you, Jesus, our Emmanuel, in whose name we pray, amen.